All right, you get to meet one of my closest peers in this space, and better yet, one of my closest friends on this week's episode, Chris Wilhoyt, Director of Operations at Lima One Capital, and the man who was at the helm of our Rental 30 product launch years and years ago. What's the pulse of the appraisal situation across the country? Where in the world are valuations going from a from a technology perspective, uh, all of this and more in this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. I am joined today by Chris Wilhoyt, Director of Operations at Lima One Capital. Chris, thank you for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. For sure. So uh, you and I go to really way, way, way back. Uh, I was a wee young little boy, just graduated from Furman, rocking the regalia today. You were one of the three people who actually interviewed me to come aboard. Uh, I think you refer to that day as the biggest biggest mistake of your life, right? You said, ah, let's bring this guy on. Or maybe you were the third vote that just made the wise I, I decision. I took the scale positive. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where would we be without uh, the real state of things? So, oh, this is true. That's true. Good decision on you. You're wise. Uh, and just like you and I were catching up before this episode, yeah, I'm just going to ride your coattails. You're much smarter than me. So, this is going to be easy. So, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do some learning right, right. here. Yeah. And you're going to do some teaching and we're going to be good to go. Yeah. So, so just a little introduction about myself, maybe to, yes. to start with. I've, I've been with the company since uh, 2013 shortly after the kind of the relocation from Atlanta to our Greenville offices and uh, when I joined we were a very small kind of startup minded company of, uh, of of fewer than 10 people at that point in time and uh, and since that time I've held a bunch of roles in operations throughout uh, the evolution of our operations team at Lima One and uh, helped spin off some of the groups, uh, one of which Dalton is now the, the director of or, and our sales groups over that period of time from 2013 to today. Uh, and then most notably in 2015, we saw a huge opportunity in, uh, in the market for a call it ultra small balance. I like to call it mom and pop uh, single family rental lending because you know, you had your B2Rs of the time, Colony American Finance, which uh, has gone through several iterations of names and, and other larger institutional-minded lenders really looking for um, large aggregators of single-family residential rental properties, of which there are only a couple, right? There are a handful of those types of large aggregators, which uh, typically comprise, you know, your, your kind of single borrower securitization market. And so we saw an opportunity where the majority of single family residential rental properties owned in this country are owned by uh, by mom and pop investors, smaller investors who own between one to 10 properties. That's, you know, the vast majority of, uh, of that, uh, what comprises about 33% of the total real estate market held by uh, investors. And that's that smaller group. And so it was really a segment that was completely missed uh, by that, that focus on the large institutional investor. And so we, uh, we started a program in 2015 with a lot of feedback from our current clients at the time who, who really had no access to permanent 
institutional grade capital for their uh, single family residential investment properties other than going to you know smaller regional banks or trying to go agency financing and and there you know there there are issues going down each of those avenues you know agency financing really just isn't made for investors and so you don't get the protections of you know your llcs and and um the different types of uh, liability protection from the ownership and the vesting of the property since Fannie Mae uh, you know requires that you vest in your personal name and then regional banks are always going to tap you out at a certain point. And so what that's where we we really saw a, a huge uh, a huge potential for ultra small balance single family uh, rental loans and I, we started that in 2015 I helped uh, helmed that particular department until uh, 2020 uh, where we saw an opportunity to uh, to grow a little bit at Lima One and uh, took over director of operations now under my purviews, consolidating all of our processing and our credit credit overlays for our different uh, deal teams throughout the organization, along with technology initiatives, and uh, we've consolidated and um, really created a, a corporate valuation strategy, which has helped us navigate some really turbulent waters over the last two years with uh, with the flood of traditional financing really taking up most of the appraisal uh, purview out there in, in the in the marketplace so long long introduction for myself turn it back to you Dalton steer us where uh, where you want to go yeah I know good good walk down memory lane and you have uh, uh, quite the pedigree here yeah when I when I got here rental 30 was like two months old and yeah, learned a lot at the knee of Mr. Wilhoy. So it's been a, a fun ride. But you mentioned the valuations piece, and uh, you know, you're you're a, you're a secretive fellow, so I know you won't give away anything crazy. But yeah, like COVID threw a wrench in everything. But one thing yeah. that you know you had and had and have just an incredible housing market, and yeah, we I, I sometimes forget about size and lose view of perspective, right? Like we are sure. like at Lima One top dog in the space, right? But whenever you back out and look at the whole mortgage industry, uh, there are forward originators that do, you know, more in a month than we do in a year. So it's just, right. just different. So talk to me about like just that valuations piece, where it is now, and more importantly, like where's it heading? Like what's the future sure. look like on the valuation side? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the issue that that really we and other competitors like ours, and really any small non-depository, even small depository institutions who are forward originators, are, are going to run into in a market like what we had was that there's a, there's only you know there are only so many qualified licensed appraisers in the marketplace. Period. Right, and part of that uh, the problem statement. Is that uh, as a field, it's a fairly old style of uh, of employment field where you have to do an apprenticeship for a certain amount of time, and some of these aging out appraisers in in the marketplace really don't want to take on an apprentice and go through that hassle of the five or seven years it takes to to accrue the uh, amount of uh, of appraisals under that leadership to uh, to become an appraisal themselves. And so what we had was a uh, rapidly increasing uh, volume of uh, new home purchases and refinances requiring you know full appraisal reports in the space along with uh, our rapidly increasing investor base and uh, because of the market share that 
that the traditional Ford originators have with uh, with their AMCs, the appraisal management companies. Um, we were struggling to to get traction there, right? And so a lot of what we had to do was continuous curation of our appraisal management companies down to the county level, and uh, and really try to to create some concentration with different AMCs at at that type of of small. Uh, micro layer. So, and, and where, we, where we couldn't, we were able to to pivot a little bit off of what you know your agency lenders can't do, and, and go try to find some direct engage uh, appraisers who might want a more challenging uh, appraisal assignment or, or want to work something non agency. Because the other the other problem statement that we ran into was that our appraisal requirements are more demanding of uh, of an appraiser's time, right? So they can do a uh, you know two or three traditional conforming 1004 single family residential appraisal reports for every one new construction or subject to valuation or portfolio of five or six you know single family rental properties right where uh, sometimes there's going to be access issues into those properties because they're tenanted not by the uh, the owner right and so so you know just run into all types of problems and all of that comes together into uh, it's just a problem statement. We have to pay more attention down to uh, to the market level of, of our coverage, and so our timing to uh, to really consolidate that appraisal department was uh, was actually perfect for us because what we saw once we did consolidate and bring on some technology to help us to uh, actually manage these huge networks of, of vendors down to that level was uh, our turn times spiked, right? Like everybody else's in the market, you know, completely unacceptable turn times for us at the 20 day range were, were pretty standard. And uh, it's just, you know, one of the, the hallmarks of, uh, of the business purpose lending space is quick closings, right? And so that's, that's one of the things that we weren't able to compete on uh, anymore, and so what we also saw was was a pivot away from your traditional single family 1004, 1025, 1073, which requires an appraiser to actually go visit the property, make the inspection itself, and to uh, to then drive by and physically locate all of their comparables in their market. So uh, there there's been a pivot from that to what are traditionally called hybrid appraisal approaches. And they're not on a Fannie Mae form, and so typically not recognized by the agencies. But um, so these are kind of a, a product that's custom fit for a company like ours, where a, a third party other than the appraiser can make the inspection on the property, return that uh, inspection report to the appraiser who does their market research on the comps and does a, a traditional uh, valuation on the sales sales approach. For that property, but they don't have to go physically visit the property, right? And so you think about some markets where that's really difficult, right? LA, Atlanta, large geographies that, uh, you know, if you want to go visit all of your properties, it might take you a whole day, right? Just to inspect and physically go locate all these properties. Whereas you hire somebody else to do it and you can and sit and do the research uh, and really increase your throughput as an appraiser. And so that's that's one of the things that we did, uh, and really the business purpose lending space as a whole pivoted towards that. And then we also saw some some interesting movement away from the traditional appraisal. And so I think you know Fannie Mae and some of the some of the agent GSE agency really recognized the problem of a diminishing population of licensed appraisers within their markets, 
and uh, for a long time they they created a patch where you know uh, a lot of uh, a lot of refinances and new home purchases didn't require appraisals at all or uh, part of the evolution of that too was they also spent a lot of time creating a, a hybrid form of their own and so Fannie Mae actually now has a hybrid form that they'll recognize which is in, in broad uh, broad use around uh, around non-agency lenders like ourselves but uh, hopefully that gets some traction and you know the whole market can pivot towards that hybrid kind of concept over time yeah so a lot going on driving the uh, I guess you could say advances in the valuation space but it seems yeah. like the chief driver is that you just have an aging appraiser population and like you said no real or at least the apprenticeship numbers aren't keeping up with the numbers of appraisers who are aging out, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's part of it. And then too, you just you know, almost no market, right, or almost no supply demand chain can can take a two hundred percent year over year increase all of a sudden, right? And yeah. and so that's part of the problem too. It's like you you literally couldn't have projected that the volume would have been what it was over the last year and a half. Uh, and, and so even if you were to have projected that, is that a sustainable volume over duration that you really need to, to staff to as, as a, you know, if you, if you could conceptualize staffing a national appraiser, you know, firm, you know, would you have done that anyway, right? Because, you know, even if it's 200% of volume based on the previous year, is that sustainable over a long enough duration? So, right. so really, I mean, that, that problem statement, I don't think would have, uh, would have been better even if we knew it was going to happen because it wouldn't wasn't going to always happen at 200% volume. So really it's just part of it, I think, which is healthy is that uh, the real estate appraisal industry as a concept uh, really hasn't been revisited probably since 2007, 2008, with Dodd-Frank, which required the AMCs and the different consolidation of, uh, of the non-arms length between uh, between you know a forward originator and the actual appraiser, and so since then you know it really hasn't been a lot of shakeup there. And I think this is a healthy shakeup that's really caused by stress of a supply and demand slope that uh, that they just couldn't keep up with, right? And it's it's created innovation, and innovation for us is good because that means we can maintain the speed, and then it's also good for our investors because it decreases cost because an appraiser visiting all of these properties is expensive at their you know their higher you know, higher salary, right? And and yeah. so it's yeah. much cheaper to send someone else like a real estate agent or a broker to those properties to make those inspections and return them. So so I think it's a healthy amount of shakeup there. And I hope uh, hope that continues to gain traction specifically, you know, Fannie Mae's hybrid form as uh, as that evolves and matures. Yeah, you mentioned faster and less expensive, and yep. so that those are two legs of the triangle. And then you have quality as the other leg, right? On the faster, cheaper, yep. quality side of it. So, sure. uh, not to, I mean, just asking, right? You mentioned faster, cheaper. Does quality suffer? Yeah, where's the quality piece fit in? I think it can, right? So, so if if you paint a very broad brush. On the industry, and you just or on the on the entire market, right? The U.S. market, which is not a homogenous market by any means, right? right. And you just say I'm going to do hybrids everywhere all the time for all of my products, you know, fix and flip, new construction, your bridge, permanent rental, regardless of the complexity of the assignment, mm -hmm. you're going to suffer quality. Like there's just 
you know, there are situations in which an appraiser needs to visit the, the physical location of the property to really understand its it, the, the the subject's proximity to amenities and and at the neighborhood and and different things that will impact the value, right? And so, uh, understanding the complexity of the assignment is is a really crucial element to making sure that you don't lose quality while adopting something like a hybrid approach or or a more innovative approach. Where uh, where it's going to be cheaper, faster, and and they're not going to visit the, the physical property, right? So, so anytime you're doing you know new construction, you know I think it's it's typically a good idea to at least have that appraiser do drive by some more complex rehab project, you know where they're going to scrape to the foundation and rebuild. Always a good idea to have a, a physical inspection by the appraiser to make sure that they're understanding the theoretical subject to value the property, but you know your your median value single family residential rental properties, you know, for the most part, I think it's a good approach that uh, increases the throughput, decreases turn times and, and allows us to get uh, get those valuations back quickly. Because meanwhile, you know, apart from just a desire to move quickly, that uh, that really has been a lynch, linchpin of the um, business purpose lending space for so many years. Now it's, it's really important to move quickly because uh, rates are moving extremely quickly, right? It, it is in an incredibly volatile interest rate environment. And so our ability to, you know, project that interest rate movement is, is basically, you know, it's, it's not in our hands at this point, right? So the Fed is moving interest rates several times uh, already this year. They will be again uh, several more times this year. And, and we just don't know what that kind of volatility is going to look like. You've got, you know, other... Uh, international issues and concerns that are also putting pressure on that. And so, you know, ability to execute quickly is paramount to uh, to our investors to make sure that the rate we quote them, you know, at the date of their application is uh, is as close as possible to the rate we can close under. So, Yeah, that's fair. So walk with me uh, down the future lane. Five years from now, are you able to put a finger on the pulse of what – valuations look like in this space in the bpl space yeah only in our space so i would yeah. say uh um and really only for lima one capital uh so so i would you know i'd like to take that concept of a hybrid and, and move it further along specifically for lima one capital so that we can create a concept of a hybrid that really doesn't require third-party engagement mm -hmm. from third-party appraisers. And that's where I think the industry is moving. So without giving away uh, too much of the, the secret sauce here, you know, I think moving wholesale away from our reliance on third-party appraisers is really where we need to go as, as, uh, as a company to ensure that we can have the quality of valuation that we want with the turn times that we need, and uh, and we're controlling the cost for our for our clients. So a couple of things that, that over the last couple of years have really allowed that to happen, right? So you've got an increasing quality of national data available, aggregated at your fingertips, right, all the time. So you've got all the same public data in most markets that any local appraiser and MLS data that any local appraiser would be using. At the click of a button, right, and, and so that's really what allows you to to move away from relying on a third party appraiser in their local market who has subscription to their MLS 
and no one else has that, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. typically if you're, you know, you work in Georgia as a licensed appraiser, there's no reason for you to have other MLS, right? Uh, outside of your, your local market. Whereas today you can subscribe and get, you know, basically 90, 97% coverage over the U.S. and uh, get most MLS and uh, public data. And so, you know, that plus, you know, just understanding our marketplace and uh, using the data we've aggregated through our originations and time allows us to uh, to project that uh, in the future, we're going to move away from relying on third-party appraisers like that. Yeah, it's a, what you're saying reminds me of the conversation I had with Gary Beasley, like CEO of Roofstock, brilliant human. And I picked his brain, I don't know, it was 30 minutes, an hour after we finished recording the podcast and just diving into the valuation side and what they're doing at Roofstock to you know, a, a similar pathway that we and others in the space are following. I really like asking questions like, you can't just look at the data and go, all right, is it in a good school district? That's right. very different from being, is it literally across the street from the great school in the school district? Power lines, like all these things that he's like, yeah, you just don't need to, in a lot of places, you don't need to actually send somebody out there to answer those questions. Like it's so, like the data piece is, it, it becomes, what do you want? Like what what is going to change the value at all, have any impact on it? Where right. can we find that data source? Plug it in. Here's how we feel about, you know, yes, no, to what degree. And, you know, then you have you have your model for valuation. So it's, you know, that's, that's probably the most oversimplified rundown that one could possibly give. But again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a simple boy. You're the, you're the, you're the mad scientist over here, Chris. So you mentioned, well, good. I, I was just going to say where, where I completely agree with that assessment is that uh, you're always going to need, an expert to say, you know, to look at the physical location of the property. And and that's another thing, like apart from, you know, this is kind of a data element, but apart from just data, you've got better mapping of these properties, right? You've got Google earth and you can zoom down to the the property's location, find those power lines, find those things without physically being at the property. Right. Uh, You can, you can, you know, if you, if you do still want an inspection on the property because you're, you know, your risk, appetite says that these properties in these markets still probably need a physical inspection by a third party. There are great apps and, and services that can can return that kind of inspection of that property for you, Geo, geotagged with the dates, and you can walk people through the, the actual photos of their property. And so, you know, you can get you can get pretty secure that you're getting a full view of that property without ever having to physically be anywhere near it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. One thing I want to come back to is single family rent growth. Uh, yeah. Just as as up and to the right, I don't know which way this if it's going to be mirrored or not, but whatever up and to the right is nineteen point. Yeah. What nineteen point three percent single family rent growth year over year as measure, measured February twenty twenty two to twenty one. So crazy. So we have we have a housing supply issue, which was. Present before COVID, exacerbated by COVID, that's sure. going to take years to get from where we were post recession, like post Great Recession, which was underbuilding, yeah. overbuilding before underbuilding, pre COVID, yeah. we weren't really even caught up at the pace. COVID threw a wrench in it, so now we're, you know, we've fallen even further behind. Uh, so then that drives more of an increase for the rental side of the fence and rental rates 
yeah, single family rent growth has just been insane. So is right. this like, what does this look like the back part of this year? Like, do we in February next year, are we going to look and see kind of a similar metric year over year compared to the February stat you just threw out? Where's this going? Yeah. No, so my crystal ball, I, I, I don't think so. And I don't think that's sustainable for renters. Right. Right. So, you know, I think there's several factors all coming together that have really influenced that astronomical growth of uh, single family rent in, in the U.S. And, and it's truly at the single family level. And, and some of it was just, you know, on the back of, of you know, the most stringent COVID restrictions, people realized they wanted to move their families out of high rises or condos or places with no green space or yards and into single family residential properties, increase of remote work allowed that to happen. And so you had this large diaspora of people moving from their physical location, which they used to be required to be at because of their job or their work or their specialty into now being able to, uh, to be location agnostic because you know, they can work remotely or, or maybe they're even going to relocate. Right. So you, you have that, that also in that, you know, what they call the great resignation. So several factors all contributing to movement of people around the U S and then what those people came up against was exactly what you said. New housing starts have not kept up with, with the demand growth. And then when that demand growth skyrockets overnight in a lot of these areas, you have house price appreciation that has just become outrageous, right? So in the 20% in a lot of markets, home price appreciation. And so when you combine home price appreciation with people moving from um, you know areas where the cost of living is much higher to areas where the cost of living is much lower, they bring you know that capital with them and they're going to increase the cost of the properties because they don't really don't care what the the cost is in that market you know they have the cash they're gonna they're gonna pay for the property in cash and that creates a very competitive market where your hpa is going to heat up really quickly right you have a quarter of all properties in the u.s selling for cash over a year-long period right it's just you've never seen anything like it right and so what the fed is doing to kind of ease that burning hot home price appreciation is is increasing um, increasing the prime interest rates right but there's a there's an immediate shock that that actually makes affordability where home price appreciation isn't going to drop overnight even worse right so your 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 you know first time home buyers new entrants to the market or, or even people who've just lived in one market and now it's ready they're ready to buy buy a home been renting for X number of years and uh, they've saved up that down payment. Well, HPA makes that down payment requirement much higher. And now their DTI is all out of whack because along with that higher cost of property, uh, you've got, you know, interest rates that are up a point and a half on those two points over, over that same period. And so there, there's got to be some balancing, right? So typically when, when your interest rates go up, your HPA should kind of flat, flatten out a little bit and uh, really start to cool off and and that's you know that's the basic premise here of, of what uh, what we're trying to accomplish or what the fed's trying to accomplish with the interest rate increase but there's going to be a period where that's going to create even more out of whack 
you know, new, uh, new owner or single or first time home buyer affordability. And, and that's a, that's a huge problem. And, and that's a problem, honestly, that, uh, that, you know, we, we've tried to help tackle on, on the new construction side, right? Like our new construction lending has just skyrocketed and that's, that's because the, you know, there's, there's a historically low inventory, right? So it's the lowest inventory for, uh, for housing in something like 45 years, right? Across the U S and so it's just not keeping up with demand. And so right. you have to start, you know, um, creating incentive for, uh, for new builds. And, and, uh, that's, that's also where you see, you know, there are a lot of individuals who are trying to take advantage of that rent growth in the HPA. And there's a lot of, uh, build to rent happening, right? So instead of building new high rise developments, a lot of these larger developers are going out and building scattered site, uh, single family residential contiguous, uh, build to rent developments, right. Where you can place, you know, place tenants within that community and uh, for all intents and purposes for uh, the property management, it looks and feels a lot like uh, what an apartment complex would look and feel like for them as a manager, right? It's all contiguous combined single family residential property, but it's just keeping up with the demand of where renters want to want to place themselves and their families today. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting read. And I'm going to have to have you back on here for like a Thanksgiving special and we're going to hold your feet to the fire. We're going to play that clip and see how it stacks up. Yeah. I I hope, I hope it does stack up. Right. Because, because, you know, at at a certain point, you know, I I think the concentration of investor owned properties increasing about 5% year over year from about 28% to, to 33, 32% over that same period of time that shows you a little bit of the, that cash. And then it also shows, you know, some of the build to rent inventory and then just, you know, investors going and snapping up single family rental properties, take advantage of that 19% rent growth. Um, and so where, where that's healthy for Lima One Capital, I also think, you know, that we need to also balance that out by increasing the accessibility of new construction financing for our our good builders and that's exactly what we're trying to do uh on that side of the house as well very well put mr will hoyt professor will hoyt that's going to be your name on this podcast we're gonna i'm gonna tell marketing we get professor professor christopher t will hoyt professor thank you so much for joining us and teaching this class today always learn something when i'm around you thank you very much my good friend thank you Dalton. thanks everybody for listening take care Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.